good to see y'all. My name is uh, Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I'm glad that y'all are here this morning. Uh, if you are a guest, whether it's your first time or your first time in a long time, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I invite you to come say hi to me at the end of the service. I'll be in the back under that exit sign. I'd love to hear your name, a little bit about your story, how you ended up uh, joining us here today at Chatham Community Church. Uh, and I'd love to make sure you get one of our gifts, so come, come, come by the back uh, and say hi before you leave. Uh, I have the privilege this morning of uh, having someone up here with me for the start of the sermon. His name is John Parks. He's a member of our church. Uh, he leads our DART team, which is the team that gets mobilized when people experience emergencies or have emergency needs, uh, and they, they, it's a rapid response team to make sure things get taken care of, people get helped in, in moments where they could use a hand. And he's also an avid bird lover and uh, leads a nonprofit connected for that. So I'm going to invite John to come up and join me. He's going to talk to us a little bit about soaring, about birds, and about how that connects to life with God. So why don't we give John a round of applause? Well, thank you, Jaime, and thank for, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here, but I was here in the early days when these lights were put up. I remember helping with that at one time. But I've been asked to speak on the topic of soaring as it, <clears throat> as it relates to birds in particular, and specifically birds of prey or large-bodied uh, birds that use soaring uh, throughout their uh, life and their natural history. And so... Uh, I've had long, long-standing avocational and academic interest in birds of prey, so I know a little bit about them. So if it's something of interest to you, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it sometime when we have more time. But first of all, what, what is soaring as it relates to soaring in birds? Well, so, soaring is a, a style or a technique for flying. And uh, it's used predominantly by birds of prey when they need to tra travel long distances and for other reasons in their uh, daily lives. Uh, there are other forms of, of flying uh, in birds of prey. There's sailing, there's pursuit, there's diving or uh, stooping as it's called. And these are all styles of flight that require in extrinsic energy and effort output by the individual bird that's actually doing uh, the flying. So there are flying techniques that birds of prey use, but they're not the same as soaring. Soaring is very different. How is it different? Because soaring uh, uses the energy from uh, rising air to raise the bird up, to make it go aloft. And uh, that can happen by warm air rising, as it does in our area throughout the summer. It can occur by um, uh, updrafts off of hillsides and mountain ranges that will lift the birds up and allow them to stay aloft for long periods of time, uh, for long distances. So they conserve a lot of energy using soaring as a, a flying technique. And so that um, has tremendous survival advantages for, for birds to be able to fly. We've talked already about long distances, long times, uh, but it also allows them to cool as they rise up to the cooler air. Um, it's, uh, it's particularly important when they're hunting and when they're navigating. Navigating meaning that when they rise above the canopy around here, they can see for miles. They have exquisite vision so they can see for miles and they can relocate. They have an excellent GPS system built in. Uh, I had an experience years ago where I helped to relocate golden eagles that were killing lambs on a ranch in uh, western Wyoming. They had to be relocated to eastern Montana to keep them from coming back. 
So that's just how good they can navigate when soaring. Uh, can we show the video? It's already quickly? playing. Okay. So we're going to see a video giving you some examples of different species uh, that, that soar. Uh, some you'll recognize and that will be labeled, I think, as local birds. But you see that they're not having to use their wings too much except to sort of steady themselves. Uh, I don't recognize some of these myself, but you can see how they're able to fly and stay aloft without... Oops. It's coming back. Oh. At least I hope. Let's see. There we go. Yeah, here we go. So this is uh, a bald eagle. Certainly spend a lot of time aloft and soaring. Uh, just because a bird's high up doesn't necessarily mean it's soaring, but when they hold their wings steady, barely have to move them except to sort of teeter back and forth a little bit, uh, that's usually because they're buoyed up by warm air or updrafts. Now here's a red-tailed hawk, our local favorite, I guess. Actually, the red-shouldered hawk is probably more common. Broad-winged, broad tail. So the surface area, those large wings extended fully, captures the rising air, and that's what helps keep them aloft, sometimes for hours. There's a red-shouldered hawk. That's our most common hawk locally. Here's a group of uh, griffins vultures. Those are old-world vultures, European, Eurasian birds, uh, more hawk-like than our, our local vultures, but also use soaring. John, as the video continues, why don't you share a little bit with our people? Um, so is it, how much of it is the air and what role do the birds play themselves in actually soaring? Well, a lot of it, when you see them not moving their wings much, most of it is from the air. But when they're teetering back and forth, of course, that expends energy. Uh, if they have to redirect for some reason, that expends energy. The, the, the majority of the uh, energy that they would use flying uh, as we described at the first, is subsides and they're able to remain aloft without using that energy. So they do still have to put some effort into it, uh, and probably continuously, but they, they don't expend nearly as much as if they had to flap and glide the whole time. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think we've gone through all of the... Yeah, I think so. Okay. But uh, tell me a little bit, so um, how do they need to position their wings in order to be able to soar? What do they need to be aware of? What do they need to do to be able to soar? Well, when, they're soar, what they're, when they soar, what they're trying to do is find the rising air. So you see them circling or you see them moving around. They're trying to optimize the, the rising air. But they, have, they want to extend the wings as much as they can to increase the surface area to allow them to rise. So they have to catch the current on they, their wings. Well, I'm not sure what that means, but <laughs> you, when you see their wings extended, sometimes you'll see they'll twist at the wrist. Okay. And that's where they're trying to kind of make subtle changes in what they're doing. Uh, but again, that, that's not as much as having to beat their wings to stay aloft. Now you've done some thinking about how this connects to us spiritually or our life with God. Is there anything you want to say to that? Well, I would just say as a layman, uh, then I'm going to leave the theology to Jaime. But it, it does occur to me that it must be important because in Israel, they have the, one of the most magnificent and spectacular migrations of birds in the whole world, a flyaway that birds migrate between that little narrow land strip and Eurasia and Africa. Spectacular migrations of many different species. 
And you, you would think that the uh, people in Israel would be aware of that, and I'm sure they probably are. But God also invoked that in two, two important occasions. One was the exodus, the exodus uh, of the people from Egypt, and also later on by Isaiah in, uh, uh, the, during the captivity in Assyria. And what he said was, uh, rise up or mount up on wings like eagles uh, and trust in God, have, put your faith in God and not in your own self-reliance. And when that, that reference, mount up, means to ascend or rise. And so that's probably talking about what was occurring in Israel at the time were these spectacular migrations where birds would be in lofts by soaring. Thanks, John. Let's give John a round of applause. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Uh, just like the ancient Israelites and God to the ancient Israelites used uh, the image of eagles soaring to convey hope and to communicate an invitation to trust and put faith in God, we're using soaring imagery this season uh, at Chatham Community Church. It's the title of uh, a sermon series that we started last week. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about soaring. And when we talk about soaring, uh, here's, here's the concepts I want us to have in our head. When we talk about soaring, what we mean is thriving, flourishing, living the kind of life that makes a difference and leaves a legacy. And in that sense, soaring is something we all want to do. Soaring is something we all aspire to do. None of us lives life without a desire to thrive or to flourish. We have, on a, at times, a desire to make a difference, to leave a legacy, to do something that matters. And each week, we're going to zero in on an aspect of soaring. Because we were all made to soar. We were all made to thrive and flourish. And so we'll talk about what it takes to thrive in life, what it takes to flourish in life, what it takes to soar, how we find that upward current, upward airstream of God. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was watching those videos as the, that John sent, and, and the thing that, I, that, that emerged for me as I was looking at it is that Man, when those birds are soaring, it looks so peaceful. It looks so relaxed. And that is so different from what life feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Life doesn't often feel like we're flying or, or gliding or soaring all alone in the sky. It often feels a little bit like this, doesn't it? Uh, except maybe add a unicycle to that. I don't know. That's what life often feels, that, uh, feels like. Uh, like. Life is complex. There's lots of things to manage, lots of things to hold simultaneously. Sometimes there is too much to manage. Sometimes it feels like we're managing things that maybe are a little bit more than what we can handle. Sometimes the number of things to manage is too much. Or sometimes we get thrown a curveball. And we get asked to do something even more that feels just a little bit outside of our means. And it feels like we're juggling and we're concerned that if we take our eyes off the prize, if we, if we lose our focus, or maybe even if we get tired, or maybe even we're aware we can't do this and we're concerned that maybe we might drop something. Maybe we might catch on fire. Depending on what you're juggling, maybe we might drop a chainsaw and hurt ourselves or someone else, or simply fail, and that's painful. Maybe sometimes life feels like it's taking more out of us than what we have 
to give. And I know that's the story for lots of us. And if that's the story for lots of us, then maybe if you were to interpose sort of an image of what life feels like for many of us in this room, it might look something like this. Lots of us juggling lots of things. And the thing about juggling is it takes concentration. It takes focus. And if life feels like that, then maybe it's hard to think about soaring in these kinds of situations. Maybe it's hard to picture how we soar in life. But what if it's still possible? What if it's still possible even when it feels like we're juggling a lot? Or we're being invited to juggle something that might be a little outside of our comfort zone, a little outside of what we feel we have the capacity for. What if we're presented with one of those challenges or there's times where life feels like it's asking more of us than what we have to give? Now, I know there are some times, right, where what we need are boundaries and feeling overwhelmed is, is a way that God is indicating to us, you have taken on too much. But I also know that that's not always the case. Sometimes it's what life demands of us. It's the right thing to do. These are the responsibilities we've been called to steward. And so today, what we want to talk about is we want to answer the question, how do we soar when the demands on us seem to exceed the resources available to us? How do we soar when life seems like it's asking more of us than what we have to give. And to answer that, we're going to look at a man, at a man who on paper seems to have all the resources available to him to do well at what he's been invited to do. And yet, and you'll hear it in this passage, you'll hear how he speaks and you'll see what he does. It's what he communicates or what it feels like. It feels like he's in a situation where he's being asked to juggle more or or juggle in more complex ways than what he has the ability for. It seems like he's lacking what he needs to meet the challenge ahead of him. And how does he soar in that situation? And how do we soar when life feels like it's asking for more of us than what we have to give? Well, he soars by connecting to God. He soars by looking for God, by trying to catch God's upward air current. When we've got lots to juggle, when life feels complex, when it feels like we're being thrown a curveball or asked not only to juggle, but to juggle while riding a unicycle and maybe add another chainsaw to the mix, we can seek God. We don't have to just get by. We can seek God, and he will meet us in those moments, not just to get by, but he will meet us to soar. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again today. I might say it again a few other times but I want us to remember this. If it's true that we were made to soar, and I believe it is, that each of us was made to thrive and to flourish in life. If it's true that we were made to soar, then in order for us not just to take flight in life, but to maintain flight in life, it's essential that we connect with the God who created us to thrive and to flourish. In any situation that we find us in, the the answer to soaring is always found in connecting with God with the one who made us to thrive and flourish. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings. It's in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to read uh, starting in verse 14, or verse 4, sorry. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it because we're going to project it onto the screen. Uh, 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. It is before the Psalms. That is the longest book of the Bible. So if you start to page through and you see Psalms, you have gone too far. Head back. Uh, But we'll start in in chapter 3, verse 4, and I'll read it for us in just a second. I hear some people paging through, so I want to give you a chance to get there. Uh, And uh, if you don't happen to have a Bible at all, come talk to me at the end of the service. I'd be glad to get you one. Here we go. 
The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued his great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings and... If you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father, did, I will give you a long life. Now, let me give some context that might be obvious, but just in case, Solomon is king of ancient Israel. At this time, uh, we've talked about the times when the kingdom is divided into two. At this time, the kingdom is still united, so he's king over all of God's people. He was one of David's sons. And he's somewhat well-known outside even of Christianity and Judaism. His name is known throughout history. And this event takes place early in Solomon's reign. He's leading a kingdom that has gone through strife during David's reign. There has been contention over who would be on the throne and who would even be on the throne after David passed away or after David died. Solomon has grown up in the royal household. Solomon has grown up around authority. He's seen his father rule and power has been consolidated around him. He's not coming into this, despite what we read. He's not coming into this unprepared. He's not coming into this uneducated. He's not coming into this undeveloped. But when you read this passage, the picture it paints is that this guy feels like he's in desperate need of God's help just to do the job just to do the job of being king. But I don't think it's quite that. I don't think it's quite that. Because Solomon likely has the skills and he likely has the training to know how to do the job of being king. He knows how to be king. What he needs, he needs God to soar as king. He's not content with just being a king. He wants to soar as a king. And for that, he needs God. Because he's not just being called to be king of a people. He's called to be king of the people that God had called to be a blessing to the world so the world would come to know him. And that's the kind of job you can't do without God. You can't soar in that way without God. You and I can probably accomplish a lot of things, quote, without God, unquote. Right? And lots of people do all around the world. Good is done by people without knowing God. They do good work. They raise families. We raise families. We have friendships. We stay healthy. We contribute to society. Lots of good seems to be done. But here's the thing. No one, 
no one soars to the heights they were made to be at without God. No one experienced the fullness of flourishing, of thriving, of doing something that matters, what they were made to do, that makes a difference of leaving a legacy without God. There is a limit to what we can accomplish with, without him. None of us, none of us can be the people he has created us to be, a people who love, a people who sacrifice, a people who give, a people who are willing even to love those who call them enemies. Those are the kinds of things that we can't do among others without God. Those are the ways we can't soar without God. And Solomon is keenly aware that the job he's been asked to do, the task that it is, the invitation to soar is one for which he needs God. So keenly aware of this, what does he do? Well, the first thing he does is he goes to a high place and he offers burnt offerings. He offers sacrifice. Essentially, he goes to a place where people worship and he worships. He goes to a place of worship and he worships. It's kind of like what you and I are doing here, but if you take the dial of worship and crank it up to 11, yes, it goes up to 11. You can take it up to 11. That's what it seems like he's doing. He goes to the most important high place, not just any high place. And he offers not just one offering. It says he offers a thousand offerings. It's, is he trying to impress God? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's appealing to God in the loudest way he knew to, in the loudest way he had access to. He's getting God's attention. He's saying, this is how much I need you right now. This is how much I need you right now. This is how much I need you for what's in front of me. Enough for me to come to the highest, the most important high place. Enough for me to offer a thousand burnt offerings. I need you this much for what's in front of me. I have a friend who's been very intentional with his physical fitness over the last decade or so. He exercises regularly. He's often involved in community sports leagues. He tends to eat healthily. He, he looks good. He's in good shape. And recently, he posted what his current exercise routine is. He said he swims 25 laps at the pool. He cycles 40 kilometers. He run, will run either a 5K or a 10K. He's taking this to the extreme. But those of you who are familiar with the particular area of athletics I'm about to talk about probably sussed out what he's doing. He's training for a triathlon. In fact, he completed it yesterday. And what he's doing is he's making sure that his body is ready to meet the need of that race. And to meet the need of that moment, he needs to go beyond what he normally does. He needs to do something on top of his regular exercise routine. You and I prepare to meet lots of needs, lots of demands in our lives. We go through job training, even when we have the skills to at the very least get the job. We'll go through job training because there are specific needs that the, that the job will require of us. Some of us take parenting courses or read parenting books or make sure we sit with people who have been parents, even though we have some instincts that might help us be good parents already within us because we know that demand will require something of us. We take SAT prep classes, even though we've been in school and hopefully been paying attention for a number of years precisely for that test. But we go a step further so we can be ready to meet that demand. I wonder then, what kind, of so, what kind of prep, what kind of prep do we do to meet the demands placed on our soul? 
on our character when there are times in our life that ask more of us, that demand for us to go to the next level? How do we prep for when the situation calls for us to soar higher? This is some of what Solomon is doing in this instance. And a word that the Bible uses for this kind of season, these kinds of moments, these kinds of practices is consecration. And it doesn't have a prescribed way of being done in every situation, but it is clearly a special set of things to do or things to say that people pick at particular moments in their lives that communicate something to God. And translating it into our context, what consecration says to God is either at this moment in my life, I want to soar higher, or at this moment in my life, I know I need to soar higher. Consecration or or seasons where we consecrate ourselves can come where we just have a hunger for God. We know we want to go further. And so we do something to say to God, God, I want to soar higher this season. I want to soar higher. And sometimes it's that we're aware that the situation in front of us, kind of like Solomon with leading the people of God, he's aware that the situation requires more than what he has, even though he's trained, even though he has skills, even though he has the pedigree, he needs to soar higher. And so he implores of God. It's a way in which we seek that stronger current that will take us higher so that we can meet whatever is in front of us. I want you to take a moment and consider those two sentences. I want to soar higher or I need to soar higher. Is there an area in your life where you'd like to or feel you need to say one of those to God right now? A situation that you have to face. It doesn't have to be one of these big milestones or challenges, though it could be. It could be. Sometimes we can say these things and we can take steps to consecrate ourselves to engage things that feel mundane but require something of us. Those moments where we need to press through to resolve a difficult relationship. Those moments where a specific project at work seems to be, seems to be pulling at, at strings on us and we're, feeling, we're starting to feel afraid. We can ask God, we can say, God, I want to soar higher or I need to soar higher. Maybe it's those first few weeks of high school where we're trying to figure out how to navigate this new environment, how to build relationships, how to deal with the new workload. What are we doing What are we doing to prepare our soul, our character, to meet the demands that are placed for us? And here's the thing. It's the grace of God, that God attends to us even when we don't consecrate, even when we don't even have this concept or know to do it. When we call out to God, whether we've taken special steps or particular steps or not, God hears us. God attends us. He hears us even when we don't consecrate, which is great because consecration is clearly, as it's defined in Scripture, something that happens in particular moments. What I suspect consecration does is not so much get God's attention. I suspect consecration is more about preparing us to hear God well when he speaks, to receive well what he has to give, because God does respond. He responds to us when we call, whether we've consecrated ourselves or not, and it happens to Solomon. God comes to him in a dream, and in that dream, God asks Solomon to ask for whatever he wants to receive from God. That's a big question. 
That's a big invitation. I believe Solomon has entered what I like to call the genie conundrum. Right? You can't ask for more wishes, but there is incredible power available and accessible to you to ask for what you desire, to grant something that you desire. If you found yourself in that situation, facing the genie conundrum, or having God say to you, ask for what you want. Ask me for something and I will give it to you. What would you ask for? It's a big thing to lay before us. It's a big thing to lay before Solomon. And in some ways for Solomon, this is a test. This is a test. God is looking to see what does he think he needs in order to soar. What does Solomon perceive as his primary need in order to soar in this situation? And what Solomon does is Solomon asks for a discerning heart. He asks for the ability to sort out right from wrong. And these are great things to have as a ruler. But let's take a step back and let's look at it from the big picture perspective, from the abstract perspective. Let's generalize it to us because what Solomon is doing in asking for those specific things is he's asking for what he needs to steward the responsibility and the opportunity that are before him. He's seeing the situation. He has a sense of what it's going to take, and he's asking for that. He's asking for what he needs to steward the responsibility and the opportunity before him. Sometimes we're as, uh, as precise as Solomon, right? We know. We know what we need to soar in a particular situation. We know we need extra grace, to meet that situation. We know we're going to need sort of supernatural renewal of strength because sleep is going to be hard to come by this season. And so we ask for that. Or we ask for peace in a, through, through particularly tumultuous times. We know precisely what we need and we can ask God for that and he'll deliver. We'll see that in a moment. He does for Solomon, he will do for us. But here's the thing. This is the grace of God. Even when we're not sure precisely what we need, even when we can't define it, we can ask God for this. We can say, God, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is I need to steward the responsibility and opportunity before me, I need it from you. Would you give it? And God will deliver. God will answer that prayer because God has made us to soar and he wants us to soar and he wants us to have what we need to soar. We can still ask for what we need to rise to the occasion, to meet the moment to steward what's in front of us, to soar. Now, I want to linger for a moment on the specific thing that Solomon asks for and that he gets. He gets wisdom and discernment. Actually, he, he doesn't get wisdom and discernment. What he gets is a wise and discerning heart. Here's why that I feel is different. Wisdom and discernment could be situational. But a wise and discerning heart, that's ongoing. That's something that stays with you. And I want to linger on it for three reasons. The first reason is that wisdom and discernment are like utility skills. They work in every situation. They're good to have in most, if not all, situations. The second reason I want to linger on it is because we seem to be sorely lacking in wisdom in our day and age. I have someone I know who often says, our world is full of opinions and empty on wisdom. We need more wisdom and discernment. And the third reason is because this is one of those prayers, prayers for wisdom, is one of those prayers that God seems to always answer. There's a passage in the book of James that says, ask for wisdom and you will receive it. 
It's not conditional. The only condition is that you have a heart that genuinely longs for it, that it come from a genuine place of longing. Years ago, when I had my first experience to lead people as a new follower of Jesus, I was keenly aware of how inadequate I was for the task. And I was a new Christian. I happened to have read this passage of Solomon. And I said, work for Solomon, I'm going to do it too, right? I was maybe naive or, or had enough faith at that point to believe that God would answer these kinds of prayers for me as well. So I prayed. I said, God, you've asked me to lead people. I don't think I'm qualified or capable, so give me wisdom. I was 17 at the time. From that point on, a recurring theme in how people talk about me is they would say, Jaime, you're wise. They used to say you're wise beyond your years. I think I've caught up at this point, so... Here's the thing, I don't ever remember anyone calling me wise before that time. Now, maybe it was just that I was a teenager, but I think teenagers have wisdom too. But from that point on, people have said, there's something about you, you're wise. That's not me. That's God answering that prayer. It's a prayer that I believe God always answers. So I encourage you to pray and ask for that. Ask for that wisdom. Ask for that discernment because it is part of a life that soars. And then I want to ask you to be on the lookout for the three ways that, soar, that wisdom can come. There are three means, uh, maybe not just three means, but I want to highlight three means that I believe God uses to develop wisdom. The first are well-worn paths of connecting to God. One way to develop wisdom and discernment is to keep coming back to God. We talked about well-worn paths last week. It's those habits that we develop that keep us engaging with God on an ongoing basis, whether it's prayer, scripture, combination of that, being out in nature, reflecting, worship, whatever it is. There are different paths to walk. Make sure you have well-worn paths. God builds in wisdom through those moments of connecting with him. The second is community. Good community contributes wisdom because we gain from people's experience and reflection. This is why small groups are a crucial part. I know some of you, uh, I've heard you talk about small groups as an experience where you just sit and soak and you listen and you learn. What you're doing is you're, you're receiving wisdom from the people around you and you're contributing wisdom as well. Community is key. If you're not part of a community, if you're not part of a small group that is contributing to wisdom in your life, talk to me. Let's get you connected to one. And the third one is experience rightly reflected. Years don't amount to experience on their own. Years don't amount to experience on their own. They require experience rightly reflected. I knew someone who, used to, who, who was a manager and he, said, and he used to talk about how he would look at resumes and he would look at years of service, he would look at uh, employment history, he would look at how, how long people had been at certain jobs and he would say things like, the, one of his adages was, um, I wonder if this person really has 20 years of experience or if they have five years of experience repeated four times. That is an indication of a lack of wisdom. People who simply repeat the same thing over and over again. It's because they haven't rightly reflected on the experience that are past them. We gain wisdom when we uh, re rightly reflect the experiences that we have. Three paths to wisdom. Ask for it. Seek it. Receive it. And then employ it as you soar. So Solomon has this chance to ask God for whatever he wants. But only one thing, right? And it might be tempting to say, is that all we get from God? Is that all he's going to get? One thing? No, of course not. He chooses to ask for what he needs. 
in order to soar. And then God pours the overflow. He brings abundance. He blesses him with even more, right? He thrives. He flourishes. He says, you are going to make a difference. You are going to leave a legacy. There is a reason why millennia after Solomon's life, we still remember him for his wisdom. God brought that blessing implicitly. He's being remembered because at that moment, he chose to ask for what he needed to soar. Now, at the end of the passage, after considerable real estate is giving to all the things that God is going to do for Solomon, God lays out a condition. There's an if. God says, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, I will give you a long life. Basically, what God is saying is, if you want to soar for a long time and want to soar even higher, you've got to stay connected with me. And you've got to maintain that connection. Now, is God requiring perfection of Solomon? Is God requiring perfection of us? No, Solomon was already not perfect. In fact, if you read the passage before the one we just read, Solomon had already done things that displeased God. And in fact, later on in life, he continues to do so as well. But having done things that displeased God does not stop God from meeting him and answering his desire to soar. The same thing goes for us. You and I don't need to be perfect in order for God to meet us and answer a request to soar. God will meet us where we are. God will meet us as we are. But what he's saying to Solomon is also true for us. Basically what he's saying is you can't keep soaring if you insist on staying where you are as you are. You may soar in the moment. God will meet you there, but it won't last. God meets us where we are as we are, but God didn't create us to stay there. God didn't create us for stagnation. Stagnation is not flourishing. Stagnation is not thriving. The idea of meeting us where we are is not just true here in the scriptures, but not leaving us there. It's not just true here in the Old Testament. It's true in the gospel narratives. Jesus carries this to fruition. He calls his disciples not to come meet him in a particular place, but to follow him to follow him and learn what it means to live a life that pleases God, a life that loves God with all their hearts, souls, minds, and strength, a life that loves others. God invites them to follow. And he, he helps them when they stumble along the way, but he continues to invite them to follow, to grow, to increase, to not stay where they are or to stay as they are, to move beyond where they are. God invites us to move beyond where we are and who we are at present and go where he is leading so that we can become the people he made us to be, so that we can soar and keep soaring and soar in the long run. You know, one of the things John talked about is that um, there is a part for birds to play in soaring. They have to find out, find where that airstream is, and they have to position their wings appropriately to be able to soar and to continue to soar. They have to continue to find those airstreams and carry out with it. You know, when I prayed that prayer, when I asked God for wisdom, I positioned my wings and God met me. And when God met me, I was full of pride. I was full of anger. There was lots of unforgiveness in me. I was harsh to people. 
I, was, I had a sort of a scarcity mentality and I was not very generous. And God met me and I soared. But I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have stayed that way. What do you think would have happened if throughout the years I didn't hear God's invitation to give up some of my anger, to deal with some of my unforgiveness, to open my heart and my hands to be generous to others, to care for how I talk to people in order to be harsh, in order to not be harsh, in order to be kind. Each one of those invitations was an invitation into the next airstream to position myself so I could soar higher and higher and longer and longer. What would have happened if I would have said no? Would I have crashed and burned? Maybe not. Maybe not. There were moments I said no, and I took dips. I banged myself up a little bit along the way. But I certainly wouldn't be able to be here talking about soaring. Now, I don't get a lot of things right in life, but this is one I've tried to. I've tried to over the course of my life because I've seen God deliver and the request to soar. I've tried to be consistent at saying yes to God for the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing after that. I want to invite you to do the same. Wherever you are right now, whether the last time you said yes to God's invitation to soar was recently or years ago, what's today's invitation? What's it going to take? Is it an invitation to consecration? Is it an invitation to move past something or move through something? Is it an invitation to grow in character, to develop a skill, to ask for wisdom or to employ it? Where's God's upward air current for you today? Where is God saying, this is where I need you. This is where I want you to soar. Look for it. Look for it. And then position yourself to catch it. Position yourself in such a way that you'll be able to soar. Give God your yes. Give God your yes. So that you can meet the demands of life and steward well the opportunity and the responsibilities that are before you to love him and love others. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, today, would you meet us? Would you show us where the air current is? Would you show us if it's time to do something special, a special season of prayer, of study, of pleading with you, of calling out to you, of positioning ourselves well to hear your invitation? Would you show us? Lord, if it's time to move past where we are, or to make a change in how we are, would you show us what the call is? Lord, if there's wisdom that we've been resisting, would we receive it? Would we act on it? Above all, Lord, you've called us to this life that we've been living with, the responsibilities that we have and the demands that are placed on us. Maybe some not. Show us if we need to drop some of them. So show us if we need to say no. But for the ones that are ours, you show us what we need to soar. And would we connect with you so that we might. In Jesus' name, amen.